You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi there, this is the legendary Tom DeFalco, and you are listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hey everybody, we're back again. Somehow they let us back on this channel once more. <laughs> the fools, we have the, we made them fall into a trap. <laughs> yep, they keep, for some reason they keep inviting us back and I'm not quite sure why yet, but I'm glad we're here. Uh, I'm Will Hoffneck and I'm here with my partner. Jim Mason, how's everybody doing out there? I just realized after saying that, nobody can respond directly to me. Well, no, (laughs) but they can always respond via Twitter or Facebook or whatever and let us know what they're thinking. There you Um, go. So um, for those, if you're just joining us the first time or if you've heard us before, this is the Epic Marvel Crossover Podcast. Podcast, podcast, podcast. podcast. Where every, every month or so, we break down one of the... Marvel intercompany crossover books. So, you know, Marvel, a Marvel character versus a DC character or an image character or something along those lines. Sometimes they team up, sometimes they fight. Have they ever just gotten together for a nosh like My Dinner with Andre? I don't know. Well, I mean, not not for the whole book. That would be hilarious, though. I would <laughs> love to see Superman and Thor just sit down, you know, over a cup of thimble binter or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Just or, discuss the goings on. Or like a weird, like a like an just a situation, like they warp to each other's, like to a to a neutral area, and it's basically like lost in translation. You know, <laughs> exactly. kind of like that where they're just kind of awkward and trying to understand what's going on. Yeah, so, uh, you know, maybe Superman, in one issue, Superman visits Asgard, and yep. then, uh, <laughs> then Thor visits, I don't know, ancient Krypton with, with Superman or something like yep. that, and uh, yeah, oh, so this is definitely not Kansas anymore, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Superman, uh, so the, the book we're going to talk about a little bit today, uh, it features, features the Caped Crusader. Uh, we have, uh, 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 oh, 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 wrong one, I'm sorry. Not the, the Man Cape, of the, Steel. Yeah, Man of Steel, excuse me. Whatever, he has a Cape 2, <laughs> it works. He crusades. For, for justice and yeah. the American way and all that. Truth and justice and all yeah. those things. Yeah, not necessarily in that order. Sure. Yep. yep. Uh, so what we're, what we're going to talk a little bit about today is a book that came out in uh, 96 or 97, right around there, um, in the, the, the height of the DC Marvel crossover era, which was 96 through like 98. And, I remember um, my 20s so well. Yeah. You know, so well, there's a little asterisk that means not at all. Really, so, yeah. <laughs> well, you were, at least remember a lot of the comic books, and that's a yeah, good thing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this issue we are talking about, it's a one-shot. Um, this is Silver Surfer Superman. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's is, it. That's the title. That, that's it. And it doesn't need any more than that because – what, I mean, what more do you need? You have Silver Surfer, who's arguably one of the most powerful Marvel characters, yep. and Superman, wh- who is 
I mean, outside of the magical characters like the Spectre, the most powerful superhero in the DC universe. So right. there you right. go. Yep. Nope. And, uh, you know, well, but see, the interesting thing is you don't get a versus, like it's not Superman versus Silver Surfer, and you right. don't get an and like a team up, you know, exactly. Silver Surfer, and you just get Silver Surfer slash Superman. And that's and, it. And I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit later, but it's kind of truth in advertising the way this book is structured. It is. It is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It is. I mean, and, and what I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm not going to bury the lead here. I'm going to kind of get right into it uh, at least a little bit. I just want to start off by just giving an overview here. I liked this book better than I expected to. Yeah, me too. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was a little surprised. I wasn't just looking at it. It's very nineties. Ron Lim, who of course the artist, the penciler on this is Ron Lim before we we get too deep into it. Ron Lim, of course, famous. He did a lot of silver surfer and cosmic stuff in the, Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of cosmic stuff. Exactly. Uh, and also quite the memorable, memorable run on X-Men 2099 back in the day. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that book. Yeah. That, from what that, I can remember of it anyway. We got Ron Lim. It's, this book is is very 90s. It's very Ron Lim. Oh, um, yeah. You know, exactly. it's what, when I look at this book, I mean, it's a little bit, uh, so, so let me just, let me go back up a little bit. Let's go through the credits here. Um, yes. the, the writer is George Perez, who of course yes. we last episode, we talked about the JLA Avengers, which was drawn all by George right. Perez. Um, but in this case, he's taking up the writing duties. Uh, he, he did write with Ron Lim a few times, didn't he? I, I want to say yes, but I, I can't remember the yeah. exact book, but I can tell you around this time that George Perez was, uh, writing, not drawing, but writing uh, the the. I believe it was the main Superman comic, or maybe it was before this. It was before this. Yeah, I, I think, think it was, was before. It was before Death of Super uh, Death yep. of Superman. But uh, he had a history, I should say, of writing right. uh, the Man of Steel. Yep, and drawing. Uh, well, yeah. he drew the covers. That's, drew yeah, covers. yeah. And I think he might have done breakdowns, but he didn't do full finishes or anything mm-hmm. like that. So we have George Perez on writing duties. We have Ron Lim. We already talked about penciling. And then inking, we have, of course, the Hall of Famer, Terry Austin, back again. Um, yep, on the making, Mount Rushmore. Yep, making yet another appearance on our show. Uh, <laughs> we, I'm telling you. I, this I think, guy, go this ahead. Guy, I want to say, like, this guy, if anybody's familiar with Woody Allen movies, and I don't know if our audience is, he is sort of like the Zelig of comics where he w- appeared in almost <laughs> – Every comic book at one time from 1970-something to 1990-something. Yep, yep. Uh, You know, and uh, I I do actually have opinions on the inking of this issue, and we'll we'll get into that down the road. Okay. And then uh, letterer, John Costanza, and colors by Tom Smith. Um, One thing I did note here quickly is, again, which we see this, this is, sometimes we see this on these crossovers. Again, there's no editor listed. Yeah. So... Whether that that might have been one of the deals with Marvel and DC or 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 what, I'm not totally sure. But yeah, no, or or if they just said George, you do whatever you want and you can edit this book or whatever, right? I mean, George was a loyal Marvel and DC guy. I mean, he he's worked for both equally. Maybe mm-hmm. they just gave him gave him the uh, the the baton and said go for it. Yep, and uh, you know just push it right off to uh, publication, but. 
you know, uh, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some editorial involved, maybe right. more on the legal side. Yep. So I'd hate to put a lawyer as an editor for a book. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. that there's anything wrong with lawyers, but. Yep. So, um, there's something wrong with lawyers. <laughs> yeah. In, in some cases, very much so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one, another thing that I noted here in doing a little bit of research on this book, um, I found it interesting that this book does not take place in the crossover universe. Um, the, so many of the books for, for, for our, our listeners, many of the books that take place in, in where Superman and, and Hulk meet or whoever, they actually take place in a separate universe where those, where Marvel and DC live together. Right. And you remember the name of that universe? Uh, it's 57, 62. Two or so. I don't remember. There was five digits involved, which yeah, means I can't remember it. Yeah, it was it was like a random number. It was some yeah. random number universe. But um, it's called it, it is called the cross. I, I believe in DC, it's called the crossover universe. Is their official name? Um, but in this case, it actually takes place. It says cannot in their canonical universes. So the DC part is in New Earth, DC Earth, right? And right. then uh, Marvel is six one six. Is at least according to the online wikis, that's what they say. Correct. Um, so that actually makes if that's the case, that makes this a canonical story for both right. characters. And they do explain it in story how it is canon. So mm -hmm. it's uh, an interesting trick that Perez uses. Perez uses. Yep. In that I thought. Yep. So with that said, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say on this issue to, before we kind of get into the plot. I just um, want to, I just want to touch on one thing real yeah. quick. Well, you might notice that there are some delays and that's because Will and I, again, are broadcasting from our quarantine bunkers. Yep. So if you hear like a little bit of lag time or an awkward pause or anything like that, it's not that Will and I fought or had a slap <laughs> fight beforehand. It's just literally we cannot see each other right now right. and are uh, recording this uh, remotely. So bear with us. We don't have our usual witty repartee. Uh, our, our Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sort of uh, observations of the comic book industry. <laughs> I think that's pretty generous. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll take it, though. I'll take it. Um, there you go. All right. Um, yeah. So what I'll say is, is before again, before we get into plot, I didn't, I didn't pick up. There's not any other major callouts. To be honest, I'd never read this book. Um, this is the first time I'd read it. Um, I'm, you know, we've talked about here before. I'm not much of a Superman fan. Um, right. I, I do like Silver Surfer. I've not, I'm, I wouldn't say like I'm a hardcore Silver Surfer guy. Right. Like I don't read everything, but I like him as a character. And, and I've read. And I, I have to interrupt. You listen to a lot of Joe Satriani also, right? <laughs> no, no, not really. Um, no, yeah, surfing with the alien there? Right. No. Um, but, but I will say, you know, when I was a kid, I, I'll tell you what. Like, one of the things that – Silver Surfer was, like, my guy, one of my early, early guys that got me into comics. It was, it was Ghost Rider, uh, yeah. Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, right? Okay. Uh, the second Ghost Rider. Um, and then technically the third. Okay. All right. All right. Pet, okay. Pet ants, all right. Well played. Yeah. Well okay. Played. And Continuity then nerd. <laughs> and then the Spider-Man, of course, and then Silver Surfer. And part of the reason was 
I'd gotten the Marvel Universe cards. You do you remember those? The, the original oh, Marvel God, Universe yes. cards? Oh, I spent a stupid amount. I mean, stupid amount of money on those. On right. All the different series of cards came out because that's what you did in the early 90s. Right. No, they were, yeah. and they were, what I loved about them is that the card sets, and, and this is what they did in these early card sets better than they do on any of the newer sets they still produce. Um, what I loved is they set it up for kids to learn yes. about the characters, yes. right? And that's yeah. how I learned so much about all the characters was like, literally, I'd read the card and go like, whoa, this guy, Silver Surfer, has like a speed of seven on the little zero through yeah. seven meter, yeah. right? Oh, that's awesome. He must be super cool, right? Like those kind of things. And then they give like a little origin. It would give like their first appearance. I would memorize those things. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, to know how, I mean, you could have it defined. This is now, remember, this is also the days before the internet. So having right go-to source for who is stronger, Thor or Silver Surfer, was an amazing accomplishment, I thought. Yep. Yeah, no, and you could, you could, and then you could argue, like, oh, well, maybe Thor can beat Surfer, but Surfer's faster, he can escape, you know? Right. And you got to have those arguments, and you had the official card to, to back up your claims. Exactly, exactly. It hammered it home even more than the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Right, right, yeah, because right. no one could afford those. The right. cards were cooler. You could trade them on the, on the school ground, like well, we did. Actually, actually, I was such a nerd that I actually dropped some comics so I, can com so I could collect the entire Ohatmu run mm -hmm. just, just so I could know more about the most obscure Marvel characters. <laughs> I, I, because I really needed to know who the ringer was. Right, right. He was a guy who could shoot metal rings at Iron Man. That was uh, it. Ringer. Yeah. No, yeah. I, lo I love the weird, obscure characters. Those are, the, those are some of the best parts. And speaking of a, a little bit of, I wouldn't say obscure, but not, not the most famous of villains in this book is kind of what we're going to be seeing here. That's true. That's true. Kind of a deep cut, but appropriate for yep. the story. All right. So before we get into it, too, one last thing. How do you pronounce his name? You got it. Okay. okay, you got to give me your. Everyone has a different pronunciation. Now, I believe I heard this. Uh, now, I I might be mispronouncing it based on what I remember from Superman the animated series twenty something years ago, but the way that I pronounce it is Mixius Pititlick. Okay. All right. That, that's that's how I say it. And the one thing is, you could say Mixelplick, Mixy. Right. Mixmaster J, uh, or Mixmaster P, I should say, but Mixius Pititlick, to me, sounds the closest to the intent that, you know, when all the fifth dimensional imps like Batmite, um, and I forget Aquaman's uh, uh, imp, yep, but when yep. all the imps were assigned to various DC characters, that's kind of how I read it. All right, so uh, I... I've heard it a couple different ways on, I, I looked on a couple of the different <laughs> old cartoons and, you know, and everyone seems to have a slightly different kind of pronunciation. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've kind of settled on, on, on mix a pit lick is kind okay. of just how I settled. Um, but you know what? I think we should just go with mixy probably. I, I to, like it. I think we can agree on mix. Yeah. So, so before, uh, now that we're talking about him, uh, who the heck are we talking about is what someone who doesn't know, doesn't know what we're talking about is saying. Can you, can you kind of give us a little breakdown on who mix a pitalic is mixing? Pick, yes. Like, yes. Mix a, hold mm -hmm. on. Hold on. For those at home, 
just give it a just give it one good college try, Will. Okay. You can do it, Mister Mixazipitolik. Pitolk. Dot dot dot. Close enough. <laughs> this is spelled. This is spelled M X Y Z. Yeah. P T L K. No right. vowels. That's yep. it. O- only one. And I mean, Y is an arguable right. sometimes vowel. So, so now we know how to spell it. Tell us a little bit more about him. About who Mister M- Mixie is. Yes, uh, Mixie. He is a guy. Uh, debuted, I want to believe, I want to say in the mid 1950s of Superman comics. And he was, and I, I hear some tapping on the keyboard, so Will might be looking up some specific, oh, yeah. some specific dates. Uh, but 19, were, 1944. Wow, even earlier than I yep. thought. He's, he's a golden age character, Superman number 30. Wow, okay, so Mixie. Uh, is a more storied character than I gave him credit for, but he definitely appeared before Batmite, which is an abomination <laughs> of the character. The bigger point to make, though, is is that I think he started movement in in he, he was still kind of a Silver Agey kind of character, even though he debuted in '44. Learning that because he was there to be this omniversal foil for Superman, where he was a trickster god mm-hmm. in a way. He is a guy who can actually warp the very nature of reality. You know, he can, you know, turn Superman's head into a, a pig head and, you know, make the sky full of rainbows and unicorns or, you know, transport him to a land composed of entirely of shoots and ladders and candy canes. I mean, and, and sometimes uh, some creators have taken a much darker view of Mixie um, you know, you know, creators like like Peter Milligan or Grant Morrison, you know, have really turned him into kind of a twisted demonic character in a way. Mm-hmm. But still, always playing him as a trickster, where you know Superman has to use his intellect to get through it. He can't punch or heat vision his way uh, through an argument or through a debacle with with Mixie. You know, he can't brute force him. Can't brute force his way through it. Um, and for people who are more familiar with science fiction television, he's very much like Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. Right. Where I think he, that's actually, I hadn't even thought of that. I think that's a really great analogy. Thank you. He, he's a guy that's there to test the intellect, willpower, and dedication of the hero. And, uh, you know, and, and, and there's a reason why he's lasted as long as he has. Plus, if you watch Superman the Animated Series, he's voiced by Gilbert. Godfrey, <laughs> it's amazing, and yeah. and, and uses his actual uh, now. I thought it was fifties, but now forties era design because originally he looked like Elmer Fudd with a bowler hat, right. and then they applied the more sci-fi ensemble to him. Um, but overall, kind of a cool character and and really weird. And he has this unique weakness, or Superman at the end of every fight with Superman he has this curse where if somebody can get him to say his name backwards, don't make me do that. Well, uh, <laughs> he will have to disappear to his dimension for at least a month to his home dimension for a month. So gotta love Mixie. So it's got a little, little bit of like a Rumpelstiltskin-y type yes. kind of mythology to him. Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, speaking of, so you mentioned Gilbert Gottfried, uh, he also did appear in the 1993 Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Oh, yeah, that's and right. He was played then by none other than Howie Mandel. Yep. 
Yes, he was. <laughs> and did, did Howie have his hair back then? I want to say yes. I think he still had his hair back then. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't yeah. remember. I don't, I'd have to pull up a picture of what he looked like in the series. I don't quite remember. Right. But uh, I do remember watching that series as a kid. <laughs> he was definitely not uh, the AGT Howie is all I'll say. So. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. So with that said, the other – one of the other the, – the other main villain in this book um, is – is um the impossible man right the, so essentially the, the the i mean just to throw this this quick commentary in there the impossible man who was a fantastic four quote-unquote villain again right. more of a foil you know because he wasn't out to really hurt anybody mm-hmm. but he was this kind of impish character that was there to devil the fantastic four and you can kind of say that that stan might have been inspired a little bit by the distinguished competition a little bit right and and to, yeah and that's the interesting thing about this book is that that basically these two villains are kind of like versions of each other they're 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 tricksters they're imps exactly, right? exactly. And, and they're they're not they're little, they're goofballs, they're, they're not scary villains by any means. No, no. And especially the way Perez writes them, I, I think you can, you can hear the voices of these characters as being completely cartoonish. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, keeping with the, the the canon of these characters, and I mean, and he draws them that way. I mean, oh, yeah, you know, they are Ron cartoonish. Le- yeah, oh, they're completely cartoonish. Yeah, and I mean, that's and that's kind of the interesting thing about this book is 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 yeah, we're dealing with kind of cartoonish villains. So, with that, anything else before we just kind of dive into the plot? No, I'm getting my snorkel. Let's dive right in. <laughs> All right, so so this book opens up with a with a it's kind of got a standard form that we actually see quite a bit in these crossovers with little prologues to, to intro. Yep. And uh, the actual name of the story is pop. Yep. <laughs> pop. That's, that's the name of the story. That's what they went with. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so that kind of tells you right off the bat, we're dealing with something a little whimsical, right? Yes. This is not a serious story, you know? Um, and so we start on Superman. Uh, Superman, the, the, I had to write this down because, again, I'm, I'm not a huge Superman fan. I haven't read a ton of Superman. But, like, the thing that cracks me up is this story is Superman on patrol. He actually says this, I'm on patrol. He's just flying around the yeah. city patrolling. And, and apparently all can, he works on a clock, too. I, I had no right. idea that he keeps time. Right. He's, he's, it's, it's patrol hour, right? Right. And, and which to me is the most asinine thing for a Superman who can hear like anything in the town, who could see through anything. Why is he even bothering flying around? Well, and as a DC fan, he, they've established that he really doesn't need to sleep. He, he sleeps to, for, for a few hours a day to, to basically put his mind at ease. Yeah. But he doesn't, you know, all of his nourishment and his, his, his biological functions are supported by solar energy absorption right so that's me pushing my glasses up my face yep. <laughs> and uh but but it, it he feeds off earth's yellow sun yes <laughs> went under the powers of a yellow sun but under a red sun he has no powers <laughs> um but you know it's just an interesting thought and, and it's kind of a throwbacky again it kind of sets the stage a little bit that this mm-hmm. is not the current superman because you know, this is 19, what did you say, 1996 this came uh, out? 96, 97, yeah, 96, right there. 96, 97. 
you know, Superman had been killed by doomsday blood and guts and awful stuff. And yep. then the electric Superman came a little bit later. And it was just, I mean, Superman was going through some weird S, S word stuff. And, <laughs> and, you know, they were, they were definitely in the process of deconstructing who is, what is Superman. And it was just kind of a throwback to, well, you know, I've got another five minutes on the clock and I'm going to go home, have dinner with Lois and uh, maybe watch Family Feud. Yep. You know, that's, you know, unless, of course, you know, Brainiac attacks and, well, there goes my, you know, that's, that's the Superman we get here. Right. So Superman is flying around and then he, he, he decides to see what's going on at LexCorp and uses his x-ray vision to find out that uh, Contessa is spying on him with, yes. a, with a, a spy drone. Right, because at this time, you know, this was in a sort of weird period where Lex Luthor had gone underground or was dead. It was not known at the time. Mm -hmm. So, like, the big crime boss at the time was this uh, very mysterious Italian noblewoman named Contessa something, 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 which will be revealed later in the book. So, mm -hmm. yeah, very so, long name. Yep. And really, really all this, this does is to set it up so that she's watching him. Um, he's watching her. If Superman does this, Superman, and this is something else I've noticed while reading a few of these Superman crossovers. He's kind of a bitch, like once in a <laughs> while. Like, you know, I mean, I mean, he, he always seems to kind of. But you're kind of a bitch. <laughs> you know, like he kind of stops and like makes like little kind of kind of like snippy comments right like he did in the the superman spider-man talking crap about new york you know like and and like here here he's like oh you're spying on me uh, he basically gives her the finger i mean right. that, that's basically what happened you know it kind of reminds me uh the comedian robert wall who played um um oh god what was the name of his character in the batman 89 movie uh he played uh knox alexander mm -hmm. knox the photographer reporter for uh the gotham newspaper but robert wool was a stand-up comic in the 80s and 90s and he would talk about the old superman tv show where the where the gangster because superman every episode would confront a fedora gangster and he would empty his revolver bang 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 six shots and then when the when the when the when the mobster you know and he just stand there as these little animated bullets would just bounce off of his chest and then <laughs> Then the mobster would just look at his handgun and throw it at Superman. Then Superman ducks. Right, right. <laughs> when Robert Wool says, and this is, this is the character I think Perez was involved, he would say, and forget the language, Robert Wool would put his hands on his hips like Superman and just say to the gangster, he should stand there, take the gun in the face or whatever, and just say, you stupid bastard, I'm yeah. Superman. <laughs> you know? yep. and, and that's kind of the Superman we get here is the sort of, I know I'm invulnerable and screw you. Yep, I can yep. do whatever I want because I'm Superman. <laughs> so, uh, but, but this is all set up basically because what happens is uh, Superman, while she's watching him, he disappears in a pop. Yep. Pop. Or and should then, I do What? Should I do this? Can you hear it? Yep, a little bit. A little yeah, bit. <laughs> I'm making the popping noise on my mouth. It's not coming over the internet. Uh, yeah, like that. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's gone. 
snap of the fingers. So Ow. we move from that to a prologue of Silver Surfer. Um, Silver Surfer, and he's flying through the cosmos as he does. Right. This is what Silver Surfer does. He's essentially on patrol through space. And he's depressed. Uh, which is, again, what that's pretty standard for the go for Silver Surfer, you right? Know, he, was, he was only caught on Earth for 30-something years and then finally uses a trick with the help of Reed Richards to get off the planet and then goes into space. Oh, I'm finally free and I'm still depressed. <laughs> you know, he is the most existentialist character yep. in the Marvel Universe. Yep, yep. <laughs> So he flies around and he finds a new planet being what he thinks is being born, but he hear, hears voices crying out. Right. Um, he starts kind of looking for him, attempts to look, look for him, wonders what's going on when all of a sudden, pop. Yeah, pop. He disappears. But the planet, I, I got to give Ron Limmer a lot of credit here. You know, when I, when I looked at the, the prologue page for Superman, I wasn't as impressed with Ron Lim, the, the, the artist of the ordinary, yeah. you know, just building cityscapes, cops, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. It was, and also this is the point I was going to make about Terry Austin. Terry Austin's inks were very scratchy, which I'm sure were indicative of the line work that, that Ron Lim was using at the time, but you could see Ron Lim's comfort factor go up a thousand percent. Yeah. Goes to the silver surfer pages and here's this planet being formed. Like, you know, the, the planet is on fire. It's literally a crucible for a planet that's being formed of, of lakes of fire and lava rock and all this. And there's some just wonderful panels. Yeah, uh, that, there are. That, that happen in this two-page. I mean, he affords more, they afford more space for Silver Surfer at this time than they do Superman's prologue. And I just found the pages really beautiful. So there's, I definitely see more of a comfort factor with Lynn because at this point he was strictly a Marvel artist, you know, over me, you know, drawing the DC world. No, I think, and, and, and I mean, since you brought it up, the, the, those middle panels of the flames reflecting off a silver surfer's body. Oh yeah. Are awesome. They're, they're yeah. great. They're, I mean, they're, for, I mean, for a 1996 comic, the color work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Genius. Yeah, no, the I'm color this, work is genius. Yep. And in fact, they list in this one, they list, uh, it's done, it's done with digital separation. So yes, um, uh, which this, was done by a digital chameleon, I think. Yep, yes. Yep. Digital chameleon was the color separator at the time. So, so yeah, yeah, they so, were using the, the preeminent color house in comics at the time. Right. Right. So, um, so yeah, no, there's actually, there's some good panels. I, I mean, but you're, you're completely right. You can tell Ron Lim is far more comfortable with the surfer. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, and then that's when we find out the story's called Pop, and we shoot directly to Superman on what he thinks is Krypton. Yeah, and he—I mean—he's under the red sun. There's people speaking Kryptonese. Um, he's not quite sure what's going on. People seem to think that he's some kind of invader. Yes, really weird. Yeah, so really weird. But the, it's the John Byrne vision of Krypton. So they're wearing all the, to, you know, the green and blue and red togas with the black bodysuit underneath. And mm -hmm. it, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so this is when he gets, uh, Superman gets attacked by the Kryptonian militia 
which is a thing. Yeah. Um, General Zod had to be general of something, I guess. I guess so. And he tries to tell them, hey, I'm the son of Jor-El. And they're like, we don't know who the hell Jor-El is. So we don't care. You're an invader. I read this as them having an accent like New York cops. Yeah, right. Get (laughs) out of here. (laughs) No Jor-El around here. Beat it, you hippie. I mean, Superman basically tried to pull one of these, don't you know who I am? Exactly. You know who I am, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was like of all the points. I, I mean, I'm just laughing at Pres. <laughs> I'm walking here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I'm trying to be super over here. Right? Yeah, get out of here. Forget so, about it. They get in a they get in a few little comic beat 'em ups between yep. him and the militia and the Kryptonians when he sees uh. Or, or, excuse me, they, they get fired at by someone far off in the distance. Yes. Um, he immediately looks over and is like, who the heck is this guy? There's like, this guy has like all different things going on. He's got green. He's on fire. He's got a stone pieces. What is this guy? He literally uh, says shingles of orange rock. Yep. Shingles <laughs> of orange rock. That's right. right. Yeah. And he says, torso, definitely humanoid, and a really big one at that. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. And then there's this big reveal reveal page. uh, And you, Kal-El, son of Jor-El and Lara, with all of Krypton's witness, you shall be the first to feel the true measure of defeat. Let this, your birthplace, be your final battlefield. So says the Super Scroll. Right, right. So I mean, such bombastic language. Oh I yeah, love it. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's very it, it's very comic booky, right? Oh my gosh! And Superman's just looking at him like, "Who the hell are you two? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what the heck is this? What? <laughs> Uh, so let's give a little bit of, uh, what can you tell just for people who are unaware, give yeah. a little bit about who the super scroll is. So the super scroll was a scroll and I do know his name is Pilurk, mm-hmm. and it's, I think it's K L apostrophe R K and uh, another guy without vowels to help us, us <laughs> uh, weak minded fools who read comic books out. Uh, but he was a super scroll. The scrolls are shape shifting race. Uh, that was uh, famous for fighting the Kree interstellar empire mm-hmm. uh, in the pages of Marvel comics, which um, bridged their continuity between the Avengers and fantastic four books. Yeah. The Kree showed up in like, uh, I want to say it was the Avengers books and, and, and yes, they were in the fantastic four as well, but they were more prominent later on the Avengers. The scrolls were like a major enemy because they were the little green men from another planet. Right. But they could shapeshift into anything. They could be any humanoid, cows, aliens, and a very warlock, uh, warlock, warlike race. And however, the the Skrull Empire kept getting its ass kicked by the Fantastic Four. It's like, how can four humans with just a few superpowers defeat us? We could shapeshift right. into into Zangtorian megamorphs, you know, or right. whatever. And so they experimented uh, on color with the same co- kind of cosmic rays that um, uh, hit the Fantastic Four, and he got the abilities of the Fantastic Four, hence mm-hmm. making the Super Scroll. And with the shape-shifting abilities, he could have one arm that's, that's the orange rocky hide of the thing, another arm that's on fire like, like the Human Torch. He can be invisible, project force fields, and stretch all over the place. 
and do the normal scroll shape shifting things and look like anything or anybody. Yep. And he, I mean, and it's funny because Clark just was such a weird, awful villain in the Silver Age of comics, especially in right. the Fantastic Four pages. But later on in the 90s, they kind of turned him into an anti-hero in the pages, mm -hmm. or it could have been the, the early aughts too, in the pages of the Annihilation series, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and, and, a, and a whole host of artists where, yep. you know, he teamed up with the likes of the Silver Surfer and Quasar and Gladiator to, to battle the battle, bottle, battle, battle, the Annihilation <laughs> Wave led by Annihilus, another famous Fantastic Four villain. Yep. He became kind of a cosmic sort of good guy. So this is a character with a long and storied history. And, and I got to be honest, I love the Super Skull. He is just the epitome of a Silver Age character. Yep. You know, where it's just a mishmash of the hero or heroes that they fight, sort of like a Mazo in the Justice League or the composite Superman. Yep. Um, he's, he's a great character. And, and yeah, he's somebody who I think who could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with, with the last son of Krypton. So yep. I love this. No, it, it, it's, it's fun. It was fun. I was not expecting the Super Scroll to appear in this. Yeah. Now, um, now, we're going to learn a little bit into the story here that this may not be all that it seems, but... Um, At the same time, the next page takes us somewhere different. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so good to see Super Scroll. As we move into the story, now we're, we have, we're, we're back with Surfer, but he has crash-landed in the middle of what appears to be, he, he, he thinks it's a city, he thinks it's Earth, but it's not a city he recognizes. Um, yeah. it's in, this, is, this is Metropolis, basically. Yep. Okay. Yep. So they've, you, you kind of get, uh, they've got a little switcheroony happening here. Yep, yep. So, so Surfer starts trying to figure out what's going on, uh, starts trying to like make things like, like use his powers, but he can't quite control his powers right. Everything works a little different here. Yes. Exactly. It's not what he's used to. Matter's not composed the same way as he is used to. And, and when he tries to fire like his, his kind of his, his power cosmic, right? Or, yeah. or his cosmic powers. No, it's the power cosmic. Right, right, right. right. Uh, but when he tries to like use it to control matter, it doesn't quite work or it shoots in the wrong direction. So yep. everything's a little off for him. Um, so he... They think immediately the people think he's, he's the bad guy just trying to cause destruction. Right, exactly. Which uh, is fair given the surfer's history. I right, think. right. And <laughs> I mean, he is causing destruction, but not on purpose, right? Because exactly. he can't control his powers, right? Yes. Um, and then we get to, we, we kind of flip to the Daily Planet. We see Perry. Um, Actually, it, I don't remember that being... Um, Perry, I think Perry no. was out of the planet at this time. Right, not um, Perry. Uh, uh, Stern, Stern, was, Stern. Yeah. There you go. Yep, um, an African American gentleman, um, older but still with the same Perry White uh, uh, graying sideburns, which mm -hmm. I thought was an interesting choice. Um, but Ron Troop, who is a regular background character at the planet, was under the desk with him when yep. all the destruction was raining down on Metropolis. Um, and we also get another shot of Contessa watching and trying to figure out what's going on. This, this guy's attacking. And so she, Oh, and can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Will? 
of course you're referring to Contessa Erica Alexander de Portensia. Yes, de, yes. Del Portensia, excuse me. Del, del so, Portensia. Del Portensia, a very easy to remember moniker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I think Contessa works. You yeah, can just go yeah. with that. We're <laughs> going to go with Mixie for Mixie's Pitalik, yep. and we're going to go with Contessa for the Contessa. All right. Yeah. So, um, she basically sees this happening and she launches some um, robots, some Flying drones. robots, yes. Right, to kind of attack some, some LexCorp robots to attack the surfer and yep. destroy him. Um, I, yeah, a surfer, surfer makes quick work of them. He's, because he's they're robots. They're right. robots and he has Kirby dots. Yep. Lots yep. of Kirby dots. Exactly. Oh, uh, so he decides, I'm just going to fly out to space. He destroys a robot and shoots up to, to, to the sky to go to space where he's most comfortable. Yep. Uh, and then that's when he runs into some kind of glass shielding. Um, he doesn't know what it is. Right. Yeah. It, it was, a uh, again, another well-rendered panel. Again, it's very 90s artwork, but, you know, great use of that, that ace... Um, that asymmetrical panel layout that mm-hmm. was used a lot in the nineties of zooming in, doing a, going into a tight focus on his eyes yep. when he realizes that he's going to crash into something as he's supposed to hit the stratosphere. Yep. I thought that was a great panel. And then he goes, great Zen long crash. And then we switch to Superman, super strong. Yep. So then we flip back to what we think is Krypton Superman doing beat em ups with the super scroll. Yep. Uh, that's pretty much it. They're fighting. Yeah. Um, and Super Scroll shows off that he's got the invisible force barriers. Yep. That, you know, he shows off that he's got more than rocky, punchy fists and fire blasty hands. Yep. He even shows off the uh, I'm rubber, you're glue yeah, you're- type thing <laughs> where he bounces Superman off of him. Yep. And um, it, it's here at this point where if you are familiar with the Super Scroll, that I'm just going to hint at at this point where he's not talking the way the super scroll normally talks you know mm-hmm. he's using much more of a colloquial kind of hey that hurt you know sort of thing versus i shall destroy you earth man which was what the super scroll did up until that point and he also calls it a game that they're yes. playing yeah. um and superman picks up on that and is like what do you mean this is no game right and then he picks up uh, uh, there's a building that crashes. He, he throws Superman into a building. Some rocks yep. start tumbling. Yep. And he sees that uh, uh, they're going to fall on some of the, the quote-unquote Kryptonians. And he says, uh-oh, no, this is not part of the game. There, there's rules that no innocent bystanders can be hurt. Exactly, exactly. So Superman watches him stretch across two buildings and save the Kryptonians from the falling debris. And th- at this point, this is where Superman's vision, the 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 uh hypnosis or the the what would you call it the the, the, the hologram the, the illusion, illusion. yes yeah. it starts falling apart yep. and he sees that these are not actually kryptonians no they are kind of squiggly tentacled uh bug-eyed aliens basically with vests, right. all wearing the same vest yep they, they later on go to tell us that this is the planet bridoon mm-hmm. so i'm guessing these are bridoonians I guess I, I'll i be honest, the, I don't the know. Bredunians have escaped my general comic book knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but they, um, so so Superman and kind of Scroll come, come to kind of a truce to talk for a second, and then Superman knocks him out. Game over, imp, punch, right? Yep, yep. 
Yep. Warp back, flip back to Surfer. We're back at Surfer. Surfer realizes that when he broke out of the glass, he broke out of a miniaturized version of Metropolis. Exactly. Very reminiscent of the bottled city of Candor mm-hmm. from the time, which is the last surviving city that was shrunken by Brainiac and taken as a sample for his giant skull ship. But um, Superman was able to rest it, rest control of it away from Brainiac, but he didn't know where to put it or how to grow the people back to their normal size again. So he lets them just sit on a table in his fortress of solitude, mm-hmm. which indicates where, where silver surfer is at this point. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's, he's, he breaks out, he sees it as a miniature city, but he's in this, you know, this place that he doesn't know some kind of a ship or a base or something. Um, when everything starts attacking him. Yeah, but I gotta I gotta jump in and and go. What the hell? This is where the book needed an editor at okay. this point because there's again the art is fantastic and there's this great look of the Silver Surfer. It's almost again kind of a Star Trek thing where this giant humanoid face is staring through this yellowish glass at right, the right. denizens of the city. It's a great panel, but then it goes to three inset panels of. Lois, who didn't, I think she appeared like in a split second, some pages before the Contessa, who like every Italian says, Mamma Mia, when something really big shows up and Perry White, who was the Mr. Stern character before he was not, <laughs> you're he was right. not in the comic book before, but there he is. Yep. You're you right. Want, you want to put somebody on that, get a picture of that thing, you know, chief and you know, what the hell? I, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I, I didn't notice it, that. <laughs> it's like either that or reality was warping. Like Mixie couldn't even keep the illusion up for the readers of the book. Yes, that's the excuse I'm going to All right, no prize. <laughs> no prize. <laughs> All right, so, um, oh, and then it goes chapter two, mixed pickles. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Okay. All right. So I the love, name of chapter I, two of this book is Mixed Pickles, by the way. Mixed Pickles. So, <laughs> so Surfer's in a, in this base or wherever he's at, and he starts he's in getting the Fortress he, of Solitude. He's in the fortress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he starts getting attacked by a number of different kind of booby traps, um, yeah. different security systems. There's a dinosaur at one point that tries to bite him. There's robots. Yeah, uh, the giant key. um, You know, another interesting thing is when you realize that this is not your father's Fortress of Solitude, is the giant coin, two-headed quarter, or Mm -hmm. penny. I'm not sure because the coloration is weird on this panel. But it looks like, you know, Mixie is Mixie, just going to say Mixie, or Mixed Pickles, uh, kind of combine parts of Batman's Batcave and Superman's Fortress together because right, right. I don't remember Superman ever having a dinosaur hanging around before. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know who yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, it could be Devil Dinosaur. It could be... It could uh, be Terry, the not so bad dinosaur. Yeah, I don't, my, I don't know. That's a character I'm going to sell to Marvel one day. <laughs> yeah. um, he gets attacked. Now, it was canon at this point that in the fortress was a giant mecha suit, uh, which was called a war suit, which was mm-hmm. in the John Byrne written Mike Mignola drawn World of Krypton miniseries. Mm-hmm. And it would just, this war suit would just be hanging out in the background all the time. But uh, with no pilot in its head cockpit, 
uh, starts attacking Silver Surfer, and there's a quick fight that takes place. There. Yep, and <laughs> Surfer quickly destroys that robot. Because it's a robot. And then we go back to more Superman, Super Scroll beat-em-ups. Yep, punchy! Um, and he tries to he tries to even turn invisible on Superman, um, and Superman still can can beat him um, to a to a, a pretty hilarious panel when Superman realizes who he is that this is not actually Super Scroll, exactly. and then punches him square in the nose, and you get and one of the, like cartoonish punch in the face panels. Oi! <laughs> you know. Yep. <laughs> That's right. The super. I'm looking at the page now. Super well, scroll, or whatever this this thing is says bingo. Yep. <laughs> and well, I see. The thing is, is Superman thinks this is Mixie. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, and I think that's that's a logical guess at this point. Yep. But nope. Nope. No. Nope. nope. It's our other friend that we mentioned, Mister Impossible, or excuse me, the Impossible Man. Yes, from the planet Pop Up. <laughs> another imp type character like we talked about um a very cartoonish character an early fin- silver age fantastic four yep um and i swear this panel of his the panel of his reveal looks like eric larson drew it it does it, it, it looks very server it looks very dragon yeah it, it just makes me go wow that could be in a savage dragon issue right there. Mm-hmm. i actually I, I noticed that same thing a couple of times where there yeah. was there was a couple panels where i went you know that looks kind of larceny um, <laughs> yeah which was i mean it was hey kids it was the 90s yep. you know they're, they're, that's just the general refrain but yeah and then we go flip flip back to the silver surfer fighting robots and some kind of the fortress ish of solitude ish and this is where we we see the silhouette of mixie yes so so mixie is in the book but he's the one messing with surfer and then we got impossible man messing with superman right exactly and it, it does a good job balancing the 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 two conflicts page by page so then we flip back to Superman, uh, and he's he's trying to deal with this little imp character bouncing and warping around and just being an annoying out weirdly. Yep. I mean, his tongue just ah, it's terrible. Look, terrible no, he's, look. and he's just being a, an annoyance. Yes, I, I mean yep. that's really what he is. This is when uh, uh, Mixie. Well, trying to think of, of how this goes. They, they're in their warp world, right? Right. The so, sort of, the, the sort of white white panel world with this white void, right? Um, and that's where uh, you know he's describing how he met Mix, Mixie, and uh, you know it was it was sort of like a love hate relationship at first sight, I would say. Yep. Since they both can kind of pop in and out of existence, they they met in this little warp world where they. Where they where they go when they pop out of existence for a minute, exactly. Um, and then they decide to kind of play a game with each other um, to kind of mess with each other's villains um, or, or nemeses, I guess. Not really villains. Yeah. Um, but they. Uh, that's essentially the story. Mixy, or excuse me, Impossible Man tells Superman the whole story. Yep. And he says, hey, I win because uh, I tricked you first kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, of course, there's more slug, slugfest that takes place. Um, Impossible Man shows up back in uh, or goes to the DC universe where Mixie is playing in his game with the Silver Surfer. 
And of course, Mixie takes a dim view of that, especially, you know, I mean, the surfer just blasts him literally into pieces that he Mm -hmm. later reforms himself from. Um, But Mixie is just sitting there floating on a cloud, feet, legs crossed, you know, like he's hanging out at the Playboy Lounge, um, you know, just living the dream. He tries turning the impossible man into things. The impossible man uh, brings us a little uh, Thor cameo. He turns himself right. into all mirror and, and bashes Mixie in the face yep. and turns into the Hulk and Mixie turns into Doomsday. And it's just this great sort of cartoonish fight sequence. Right. Yeah, for a lot of pages. A lot of for pages. A lot of pages. And, and they cycle through like a lot of the roster of the Marvel and DC universe yep. from the perspective characters points of view. It's, yep. There's a, there's, I, I, I really enjoyed it, you know? Yeah, no, it's fun. There's not a lot to go over with it, but no. it's fun. There's, you know, there's a, there's a, a Thanos for a second. There's a Wolverine. There is a, a plastic Lobo. man. Yeah. There's a Lobo, Wonder Woman, Cyclops, Batman, uh, Mr. Miracle, and then yep. even a Galactus at one point. Yeah, a, a big Galactus. He, you know, so Mixie, turns into Lobo, so Impossible Man turns into Galactus and eats him. Right. And goes burp. (laughs) So, really, and and I mean, that kind of sets up the the thing that really this story is about a fight between these two villains. Exactly. Which which is, in a way, kind of what they did in four issues of JLA Adventures. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. You know, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. Um... And then we get back to Surfer and Superman kind of are like, hey, we got to get this worked out. You know, let's get this cleaned up. Yep. And they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, And and (laughs) honestly, it gives, you know, like it allows us to kind of take a breath after, you know, of this comedy slugfest between Mixie and, and Impossible Man. And so... You know, they get kind of shunted off to this. The two imps get shunted off to the side so the adults in the room can talk for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Silver Surfer and Superman confab on, you know, the state of Metropolis being a bottled city now and, you know, what they need to restore it. And Mixie isn't going to restore it. And apparently this is this is the kind of thing that blew my mind. Um, you know, Silver Surfer pretty much says to Superman at this point, ah, we don't need him. I can do it. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm like wait a minute this i mean i knew the silver surfer with the power cosmic had the ability to control the composition of matter but he can just add and subtract mass with the power cosmic as, as well i yep. mean that just wow it was it was kind of cool to see the silver surfer is this sort of celestial godlike entity um yep. it was no joke it was no joke. Uh, at this point, this last chunk of the comic actually gets very wordy also. Yes. Um, yes. And it's a lot of dialogue and a lot of just kind of them making fun of each other. Um, yeah, but I also think that there's sort of a meta text to this as well, not to get too too nerdy, but it, it you know, like through, you know, it, it kind of puts a capstone on sort of the commentary on, you know, what goes on in the DC universe versus what goes on in the Marvel universe. Hmm. Um, it's, you know, I'm trying to find the exact, the exact page, but you know, it, it's just, it, it, I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, yes, it's incredibly wordy, but it's cool to see these two heroes have this discussion that's constantly being interrupted by the two imps from the two different universes. Uh, it was kind of cool. I thought. Yeah. 
yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun. It definitely wasn't a, a difficult read. Yes. But it was, it was, it was wordy. It, it suddenly became wordy where the first half of the comic wasn't, right? Exactly. Um, and that's when, oh, and that's when we see Silver Surfer does have to shoo off the scrolls. Um, right, because they made an appearance at the end of the Superman Super Scroll fight. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. They they were the quote-unquote invaders that they thought were coming for him at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so S- S- Surfer shows up and scares him off. Yeah, and, and it's... Again, you know, uh, the, the, the art ties it off really well. Superman, Silver Surfer, uh, they shake hands. They're, uh, Superman's uh, smiling at each other. You know, they wish each other well. And Superman pops back to his original universe. And uh, then you get this sort of comedy, you know, several pages, I say three, five, six panels of comedy beats yep. uh, from the two imps as they go off fighting. Yeah, bickering. Uh, Bickering, bickering, yeah. like like they're Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck right. or something. Pug nosed pink pygmy, yes, be poppy, or yes. pop up poppy, Squeak, squeaky voice squirrel yeah. bark, yeah. you know, <laughs> right, right, and prancing peapod. And and what I think I liked about this, and I know we're I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but Silver Surfer kind of smiles at the end of this, right. And yep. I think that it, it was that unique texture at the end of the story which made me like it so much is that. It wasn't doom and gloom this no, entire issue. No, no, and in fact, this 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 story was fun. It was upbeat. It was it it did not take itself seriously, and it told you that from the get go, right? Exactly. You knew exactly. you knew you were getting in for a whimsical kind of silly time, right? Yes. And that's really what they, and it delivered on that. I mean, you know, it was it was never ever serious, not once. Not, Honestly, and even the slugfest portions with Superman versus the Super Scroll, fantastic. It's just two superpowered characters having an absolute slugfest with yep. one another. Yep. How can you go wrong as a comic book fan? This this was the good stuff of the nineties, I thought. Where mm-hmm. comics- no, I was I was pleasantly surprised for a nineties yeah. crossover. I wish I read it. I mean, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I didn't read it either. I was aware of the comic. Like, I was aware of a lot of the crossovers. It was just not my thing, for the most part. Right. Um, and, and there I were just, just a ton in 96, 97. There were oh, so there many. Were. Well, because the comic book industry was on the ropes, kind of right. like today. Right. And, uh, you know, we'll have some closing thoughts in a minute. But, you know, so I'll get into that stuff later. But I, I just found myself really going, wow, this is the kind of... Oh, hell, I'll, I'll just jump to it right now, Well, This is the kind of comics... Because, you know, we're talking at a time where, we're, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're in the middle of this pandemic, which, uh, uh, you know, created, what, eight, nine, ten weeks uh, of, in the industry without comic books and editorial staff and publication staff has been laid off. And, um, you know, there's, if you follow comics Twitter at all, you see Marvel Comics creators from Tom King. Or excuse me, well, he did work on Marvel. You know, he wrote the Vision miniseries. But you see Marvel Comics creators like Tom, uh, Donnie Cates with D, typically DC creators like Tom King and, and mm-hmm. many, many more talking about hashtag secret crisis, you know, of, of having this inner giant intercompany crossover to sort of jumpstart the comic book industry again. Right. And I think now is the time that editorial and legal needs to get out of the way, kind of like they did back in the late 90s, you know, with all the disruptions in the supply chain for comics and, and the way the comic book stores have just been brutalized 
um, economically at this time. You know, let's let's forget, you know, for a minute, the, the publishers, the way they've been hit by this. You know, it's the small independent comic book retailers mm-hmm. that have just been slammed in this crisis. And I think that, you know, if anything, a call to action of bringing Marvel, DC, hell, Image, Dark Horse, you name it, characters together to, to, to have these kind of fun adventures again would be a great thing yep. for everybody. I don't see how this could be a loser for anybody because if you give me more books today with all the advances in the way that books are being scripted and illustrated and designed, I think that that we're in for a treat if they they get out of their own way and allow these stories to take place. Yeah. What I will say to that is... I'm off off my soapbox now. No, no, you're good. You're good. So I I agree in theory. um, But my... the, The worry is... Marvel and DC, the big two have a tendency to shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah. Um, what I do like, I mean, I mean, they've already canceled a lot of titles and, or gone straight to digital with more yeah. titles. Um, what I, they've canceled a lot of variants, which is a good thing. There's, that's nothing but good for the industry. I mean, I don't long term. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Get rid of, Absolutely. there should not be 30 copies of 30 different covers of every freaking comic book. Like that's, it's just dumb. And, um, and who are, who, you know, sorry to go industry yeah. talk here, but you know, who are those, you know, one in 1000, one in 10,000 variants going to, they're going to the big distributors. They're yep. going to the big online retailers. They're yep. going to the, the stores and major metropolitan centers with m- a dozen or more locations. Right. No, no, they're going. And then, and then who's buying them? Speculators. Yep. They're not, they're not being bought by the people who read the book. They'll never, they'll never crack that book open. Yeah. And if, if, if I were to push Dan Buckley into a corner and say, what's the deal? He'd say, well, we're, you know, trying to stay afloat and I get it. I totally understand the, the, the reason Detra, the raison Detra behind this, but you know, I'm sorry to get off on this tangent, but, you know, it was the same thing that nearly crippled the industry right. 25 years ago with the speculator covers, the chromium, the holograph, the foil, yep. you name it. And now they're just doing it with getting, you know, a one in a thousand variant done by, done by Olivier Coipel or Ariel Olivetti or yep. you name it. You know, all of which are great covers and you can get them in the online editions, but why? No. No, I'm but sorry. My, my, I, I, my, you my, know, but back to my point, though, about the whole thing was they shoot themselves in the foot because they think that going and saying something like, look, there's a crossover, they think that's what it will sell. Yep. When what they need to do is go, we're going to have a crossover that has a good, strong story with some good, strong, interesting art that actually means something. Right. 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 That's like we're gonna, yeah. And the, you know, the reason, the reason that, you know, to, to give a big, an example, and this isn't quite the same, but part of the reason of the success of something last year, they, they had a resounding success with like the house of X powers of 10. Oh yeah. Large. Yeah. Because they did something different and interesting with consequences, yes. with good art, with yep. solid story. Yes. Right. And they, they made, they, they revamped the X universe to, to something that was interesting again, right? They didn't, and they didn't go through the, the pain of having to deconstruct the X-Men universe. No. I mean, in the course of the series, they blew it up and rebuilt it. Right in 12 issues, right? In 12 issues. In 12 issues that made sense and were readable. 
Yes. Right. Yes. Anyone, anyone could have picked up the issues and you kind of needed to know a little bit of who the X-Men were, but you really didn't, you no, know, not really. Um, and hell, I had been away from the X universe for, or X subset of the universe yeah. for some time, but I knew who the major players were and I learned pretty quick who, who the new players were. So that's, I mean, and that's, that's the thing is if they do, if they do a crossover, but they do it like that, I mean, with that, that same ideal, Right. Right. Have then, have it be a creative driven crossover right. versus a sales driven crossover. Exactly. You know Exactly. Push I, it. I know. Story needs to drive it. Art needs to drive it, not editorial. Exactly. Exactly. Amen, brother. I mean that's that's what we're looking for. So, you know, let's do it. Let's, you know, I mean and hell, even if they don't end up doing this, let's just hope the comics comics industry can realize that the end product is not just for you and me, the consumers will, mm -hmm. but it's also for the local independent retailers as yep. well. And, and they're kind of end user as well. They, they are more the end user of the, of the comic product than we are. We're, right. we're the recipient of the, the stores taking a gamble on ordering X number of copies of a particular book. Right. So I would say, yes, look, you know, let's, you know, I want the, the industry, the publishing industry to support the retailers. And in turn, the retailers, if they take the chance on said books, we, the, we, the fan base will support the retailers Yep. until they can figure out a better distribution scheme well, that, that serves everybody. Well, things are, things are, times are changing. So, yep. so let's kind of wrap this up. Um, yeah. This was fun. Uh, this yeah. was a fun issue. It was much better than some other ones that we've read of recent. It was um, not dumpster fire, lake no. of destruction. Lake of, yeah, lake of dumpster death. Awfulness. Punish. <laughs> Man. Yeah, Pun no, none of that. Punisher bats. <laughs> that sounds awful. That sounds like what started the pandemic. All right. your bats. So for next next time, for next You're episode. You're just going right past that. I, I am. I'm going right past. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm shooting through. I'm shooting. <laughs> good, I'm running through the, the finish line on this there one. You so go. <laughs> so um, for next episode, we're going to stick with this era of crossover. Yep. Um, this is one that I, again, have never read. Um, but it features two core characters. Okay, we're we're sticking with a Marvel and DC crossover for for this time, yeah. um, and this is going to be Batman, Captain America. Uh, you did you read this? Do you remember this book? I do remember this book actually really well. And what's neat? This is a book um, I believe that was fully created, maybe with assistance from others. I, I got to look, but. This is a John Byrne this is, yep. joint. This is a John uh, Byrne joint. Yep. It, it really is. And it's Captain America and Bucky meets Batman and Robin in the 1940s. Yep. And I have thoughts about this book, and I cannot wait to touch base on this one right. again. To awesome. See, again, to see if my memories of the past meets what I know about comics today. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm, I'm, you know, and we'll get into it, so I'm not going to talk too much more about nope. it. But. Nope. Batman, Captain America. Uh, let us know what you think. Do what, let us know. Give us your feedback on the on this episode or on this yeah. upcoming on Batman, Captain America. If you use the go on Twitter, use the hashtag Epic Crossover, right? And we can find your we can we can find your information there. Um, let us know what you think. Give us some feedback, and uh, or, or if you have a particular crossover that you really you know you live and die by, and you want to hear us talk about let us know there as well. So before we head out, Jim, why don't you tell everyone where they can find you? 
Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jimmers with three M's and uh, give me a follow and, and, and hit me up and let's just talk comics. I, I mean, I talk a lot about current events lately and, you know, I want to lighten the, the mood a little bit and I always have time for comics. So, so hit me up at Jimmers with three M's on Twitter or at Jimmers with five M's. Don't, don't make me go into it. If, you, if you're following the podcast, I can't keep telling the story. Um, <laughs> At Jimmers with five M's on Instagram, and I'd love to uh, love to share and, and and chat comics with you guys. Awesome! And then you can find me also on Twitter, talking comics most of the time, occasionally current events. Um, but you can find me over there on Twitter at Golden Boy Photo One. It's uh, it's my my comics talking, my my comics dealing, my trade in everything. We we kind of do a lot of comics over there. You're, so. you're overall geeking. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I love uh, it. I, I often will do like rereads of comics and kind of post panels while I'm yeah. rereading, you know, and kind of give thoughts um, or things that I find funny. So head on over there and let me know what you think and uh, let us know what, how you like this episode and make sure to keep keep listening to the Epic Marvel podcast feed. Uh, Curtis and uh, Curtis uh, Finley and his team of of other people he works with are, are doing, doing good work over there with, um, with their podcast. Yeah. Uh, he's also on been doing, uh, if you've been following, he's doing Facebook live videos lately where he's going over issues of what if that are really yeah. fun. So, uh, give those, a, give those a watch and a listen if you get a chance. And, um, I think that's everything I got. That's everything I got. And, you know, I like to sign off kids, you know, by saying, hey, kids, go read some comics. But I'm also going to say one other thing. And I'm just going to keep it just to this point alone and just be kind to one another. Yep. Be kind to one another and read comics. It's possible to walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yep. All right. Until next time, people. Excelsior.